The MCO can affect people's mental health in many different ways. Some will be worried about the disease itself. Some may be troubled by financial issues, whether in a job or running a business. And some may have emotional stresses from relationship issues being confined in their homes for such a long period. Well, some might experience all of the above. Well, today, Catholics at Home speaks to Dr. Gerard Lewis, CEO of Health Education Services, to find out how to... Hello and welcome to another episode of Catholics at Home, which is produced in collaboration with the Catholic Research Centre in Kuala Lumpur. My name is Kachang Kevin and my co-host today is Mark Derrily. Hey Mark, how are you doing? Hey Kevin, doing good. Feels like any other All day. Right. Can, <laughs> can you remind our viewers where they can watch us? Yeah, so hi everyone, I mean, uh, please follow us in Facebook where we have all our updates there. At the same time, we are also in Instagram and we've added Spotify just last week. So don't forget to subscribe and follow us in all those channels. All right, so you know where to catch us. Also joining our conversation is Father Clarence Devadas. Hi, Father. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Still surviving. Well, looks like <laughs> we're entering another two weeks of the MCO. Uh, have you lost it yet? <laughs> not yet, not yet. Still holding on. Every day seems to be the same thing. Exactly. That's the thing. Routine now every day. And I, I think it's affecting a lot of people from what I hear from a conversation with friends on social media. It's starting to take a toll on, on us. And that's why today we've brought in Dr. Gerard Lewis. Hello, Dr. Gerard. How are you? Hi. Hi, Kevin. Dr. Gerard, uh, maybe we can start off, you can just tell us a bit about your background, uh, where you grew up in, and of course, uh, what you currently do right now at uh, Health Education. Yeah, I, I've been in um, the field of education for over 30 years, uh, so other than being the CEO of the Health Education Services, uh, and that's a subsidiary of the Health Education Group that oversees uh, our three international schools in the country. Um, I'm, I'm also the Dean of the Faculty of Behavioral Sciences, Education and Languages uh, in the university. So by training, I'm, I'm both a teacher. I spent a, a good 15 years of my life uh, teaching in, in secondary schools as a math teacher. But you know, the second half of my life was uh, very much involved in, in the field of counseling psychology. You know, so I've been involved really very much in also the training and, and development of counselors in training and then uh, my own practice uh, over many years. All right. Thank you for sparing the time to be with us to uh, help us out during this MCO period to cope with our mental health. And of course, how can we cope in this challenging time? Uh, sure. Dr. Gerard, I suppose right now, it's been already a month for Malaysians here. Uh, mm -hmm. At first, and then we're surviving, but then now another two weeks, and we don't know if it'll be extended mm -hmm. much longer. Mm -hmm. So I suppose anxiety is something that everybody is facing right now. And uh, mm -hmm. maybe anxiety uh, in a different amounts. I don't know if that's the right word to, to say. Maybe mm -hmm. you can explain more about anxiety that we're feeling right now. Mm. If you allow me to just share some slides, Kevin, uh, let me give a bit of background. In order, you know, as a, as a psychologist, uh, what's important for me often when I work with my clients, you know, when they come in with all sorts of different uh, uh, mental health issues, yeah, and a lot of it is, is very emotion-based. And as human beings, often it's the emotion that we pay attention to, our feelings of anger, anxiety, paralysis, etc. Uh, and, and the behaviors that we have. But often we, we forget uh, that uh, emotions don't ha happen in, in, the, in the vacuum. They certainly have its roots. And so in order to know how to manage the anxiety, 
during this time or any other time in our lives to manage the anxiety or the feelings that we have that impacts on our relationships with the family, we, we need to understand where it comes from, right? So, so let me just share two slides uh, with you, uh, if it's okay with you, uh, uh, to give some understanding yeah, as, to, as to what anxiety is all about. Yeah, let me just go into the, the share screen. Um, uh, okay and share and let me come straight to to I, I like this one quote about fears and anxiety you know this is from uh, hp lovecraft the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear and the oldest of that kind of fear is the fear of the unknown so your opening was was uh, was really very nice i, I think it's very apt uh, we don't know the often quoted phrase of when the mco will be over is the virus determines the timelines right every no, no government in the world can tell you can predict when this is when this will all be over uh you you do it too soon you know you get the second third wave etc you don't do it soon enough the whole economy is going to collapse so you know it's not an easy choice for 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 those in in uh, authority yeah so let me let me come into these two slides just to give you as um, our listeners and our viewers a sense uh, of of uh, where our anxieties and our fears come from. So let me start first with understanding emotions. Yeah. So the starting point of all our emotions, and this is taken very much from what we call a cognitive model of emotions. Yeah? Just understanding emotions. Our emotions come from our thoughts, our thinking, or our cognitions. Right how we think the stream of thoughts that we have impacts directly on the specific kinds of emotions so there is a specific thought that happens that impacts on a specific kind of emotion and and, and so with all the studies that we have done we can actually identify what happens when people are happy what happens when people are sad there is a stream of thought that happens so let me just try this with you right uh, as, as as a guinea pig you know, since since uh, we want this to be as interactive as possible. Uh, so, so, Kevin, Father Clarence, yes. feel free to, to, to jump in sure. also and mark. Yeah. yeah. Think of the last time you were happy. Okay. When was the last time you were happy? What happened? Quick exercise. Yesterday. When was the last time you were happy? Anyone willing to share? Yesterday. Yesterday. What made you happy? My mom. Uh, yeah. What made you happy? Basically, uh, we, my mom, I mean, I appreciate my mom and my wife cooking the home cooked food. And of course, uh, waking up to the family, it always makes me happy. Right. Yeah. right, right, right. What about the family and, and what about what she cooked made you happy? Does she do this every day, cooking your favorite meal? Not often, but uh, for the past one month, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for the past one month, every morning when you got up, you, you just feel happy. This starts the day with a feeling of happiness because your mom doesn't do this every day. But the fact that she does this now in the last one month with you, that opening moment made you happy. Excellent. Kevin, how about yourself? When was the last time you felt happy? I suppose the last time I was happy was um, when I was traveling. Okay. When I could travel and go and see places. Ah, and what about traveling that made you happy? I suppose it's the different experience and being mm. away from the routine, my routine lifestyle. Right, right. That, that different experience. Uh, so I'm going to use this word now, uh, the Mark and Kevin. Yeah. The different experience, mother's cooking, adds to your life. Okay? Right. Adds to something that is different from what you experience every day in your life. So if in your mind you say, 
you process this experience, the meaning you give to the experiences. When I see an experience is adding to my life, I am happy. Very simple. Happiness, therefore, these feelings of happiness and elation that we have is when we put the meaning that we put to an event that happens outside of us. And the meaning is, it adds to my life, I feel happy. People who play Ampot Nambo Eko, they strike the Ampot Nambo Eko, I feel happy, extra money. <laughs> right? And then if you lose the Ampot Nambo Eko, they feel sad when the numbers don't come out, right? So sadness is the opposite of happiness. So what do you think makes people sad? <laughs> Mm. Opposite of adding is subtracting, subtracting. I mean removing. Exactly. So when we feel a sense of loss, so natural feeling sense, uh, feelings of, of loss is when you, you lose something that is important uh, to your life, significant. You, you lose a loved one from the, the virus. You hear of news of someone, I, and I've had in, in the last uh, one month, there, there was one person I, I, I knew my wife worked with very closely, and she succumbed to the virus. Um, you know, and she was living alone. She was. Uh, uh, a diplomat in another country and you know uh, we knew her when, when she was here working in Kuala Lumpur and, and tragic it was, it was so sad uh, that day there was another person that we, 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 we knew and who worked very closely again uh, in, in, in Sydney with, with my wife and my kids knew her when I first went to Australia with my, with my family um, and she succumbed not from the virus but from another autoimmune uh, illness and she was in Washington uh, just a few weeks ago uh, very sad Anytime we therefore feel a sense of loss, it is normal for us to feel sad, right? So add happiness, when we perceive something as losing something, we feel of value, we feel sad. When was the last time you felt angry about anything? Hmm. I think father should answer that. <laughs> ah, father. Confession, bless me father, I've said. <laughs> when was the last time you felt angry? Uh, I think the last time would be uh, in, in the office when, you know, uh, when something was not working, uh, you know, try to get the technician to come, uh, you know, trying to mm. speak to customer service. Yeah, I, I could recall mm. my blood pressure going up, you know, because not getting the right mm. answers and not getting uh, mm. what I'm asking mm. for. So, yeah, mm. dealing with customer service uh, mm. to try okay. and get something corrected. Okay, and, and the, the idea of wanting this to happen as you, as, as, you know, when, when you see things that happen in your life, especially, you know, being someone involved in, 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 in media and communications, efficiency is important. So you value that efficiency, you value people's time, right? And your time, of course, certainly, therefore, is, is important. When people don't respect that time, that's when we get upset. So what creates the anger is that, when I perceive something as tramp someone as trampling on something that is important to me, and what is important to me is something what we call values. When I have a value that I hold dear, and someone tramples on that, then of course I feel angry. Right? So when, when, when husband and wife fight, actually, if they listen to one another, they will listen that actually they both have very strong values about certain things. Maybe it's because I perceive you as not respecting something uh, that I have that I value very much as your spouse, and I value. Uh, honesty and you were not honest with me. I value uh, uh, um, uh, helpfulness and you were not helpful. The kids are not helpful. They just take me for granted. So I get angry. Lah. But rather than identify where my source of anger is that I have this value and communicate that value to my, my uh, significant others, I just lash out on them and then the, the relationship becomes personal. I, 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 you know, people don't understand. Why are you so angry all the time? Because I have 
beliefs and all of us have beliefs so when we perceive something as impacting on this we get angry now most importantly fears and anxieties where do they come from when was the last time you felt fearful of anything so when was the last time you went out to buy groceries <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, I went out. I went out yesterday. Yeah, even with right. the mask on me. Uh, right. Yeah, there's a little bit of a lot of insecurity. You know, yes. you really so don't know. We, we wipe down. So what are we afraid of? So we wipe down. So when I go, I, I wipe. You know, before I enter the car, I wipe. <laughs> uh, uh, go into the supermarket. I, I get them to spray extra on the trolley. <laughs> and and I had a case of of. Uh, relative of mine who you know was went to the shop to pay and there were people who were not six feet behind her she turned around six feet six feet <laughs> you know you have to say social distancing six feet don't come too close what is it that we are afraid of where is this anxiety coming from anxiety is really the perception of a threat to my well-being so when i perceive something as threatening me or my significant others physically or psychologically then of course, the feelings of anxiety will come. So what is it that we fear most about this virus ultimately? The ultimate, ultimate, because there's no cure, the ultimate is we fear yes. that we will succumb, we will suffer and we will die. That's the ultimate fear you know, when, when, you, when you think about it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'll come back to that. So adding, subtracting, adding happiness, subtracting sadness, uh, uh, trampling anger and threat to our well-being. That's where anxiety comes from. Okay, so think of all the phobias you've heard people share with you, whether it's the fear of cockroaches, whether it's fear of snakes, whether it's fear of spiders, fear of open spaces, fear of closed spaces. It comes from, the fear comes from this perceived threat to my well-being, physical or psychological well-being. Okay, so how does that connect? With emotions, yeah? So this is, this is something from, from the, again, as I said, um, from a theory of, of cognitive theory of emotions. This is what we call cognitive specificity. We can trace our emotions to our cognitions. And, and this is exactly what uh, this slide shows you. Okay? And with emotions, if you look at the word emotions, it comes from the Latin emotare. Emotare means with every emotion, my body will move me to action. Because think about when you get angry, what happens to your body? The heart will beat faster, beat faster for what purpose? For blood to be pumped through my, to my, the rest of my body. But which part of my body? You notice it will be to my hands. So when people are angry, what happens? What do they tend to do naturally? They tend to lash out at others, isn't it? Because my hands feel powerful. Why? Because blood carries with it oxygen and my hands are therefore powerful. To lift out something to, to hit out, and that's why we need to be very, very careful when we are angry, especially when we are around young children, you know, that, that we can actually do a lot of damage to other people, right? Um, when we are when we are fearful, when we are anxious, what happens? Heart also beats faster. So anger heart beats faster, fearful heart beats faster, panic attacks is that's what it's all about. Heart beats faster, shortness of breath, but then the blood moves from the face to our large skeletal muscles of our legs, not to the hands, for what? For fight or flight, <laughs> to run away, <laughs> to avoid, yeah? Uh, so, so whenever we have those emotions, it, it sends, the brain sends signals to the rest of our body, so our physiology is also impacted, and, and then the emotions happen and it will move us to act. So the thinking, physiology, emotions, and behaviors are all integrated, an integrated part of who we are. 
if we can understand and appreciate this, then when we are confronted with feelings of anxiety, we can therefore ask, what is it I'm most afraid of? Do I need to feel this? How do I manage this fear uh, during this period of time? And, and then, you know, I learned, I, I learned to, to cope with this. I don't have to be a slave to these fears and anxiety. Uh, um, and, and, and for some people, unfortunately, they find it very hard. And, and this will be the people who will need psychological help. Because when you think about it, there are people who's, who are already in this stage where the, 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 the feelings have become not anymore just normal. Just normal, but, um, but they become, you know, uh, uh, already abnormal. And, and that they require then psychological help. Yeah, so, so I've just put on this slide some indicators of, of um, unhealthy feelings of anxiety from a behavioral, physical, emotional, cognitive perspective that uh, we might want to, to pay attention to. And if you have this, then please do seek uh, some professional help from people around you. I think the, one of the key things, I mean, for people today is that uh, identifying that they have this, but you, you, you rightfully say that it's about managing it and what do you do? I think that's the question which all of us have because it happens in a spur of a moment. For example, I'm at home mm. trying to do some work and my kids running in, shouting behind the background, you know, and I'm doing a con call, for example. So, mm. but, but that's just one case, but I'm sure there are other more severe cases. So, uh, what, what do you mm. advise people to actually uh, uh, do when, when, when this happens? Okay. Um, the many, many things, uh, uh, Mark, that, that we can actually talk about. Um, we can talk about managing this from a, a personal perspective because, because other than just the example that you give, uh, there are many other things that happen to people at the family level. Uh, so what impacts on me in, uh, intrapersonally also impacts on me interpersonally and with my families. And there are things that we can also do to, to uh, focus on the community yeah, to help me just deal with these feelings of uh, tenseness, uh, uh, frustration, uh, yeah. feelings of being being you know uh, cooped up. Uh, so let me go through this second part of um, of uh, your question. Yeah, what is it that we can specifically do now? As I said, uh, because the origins is psychological in Asia, and anxiety, when you think about it, is a future pace event. Yeah, future pace event. It is something that hasn't happened yet. The threat hasn't happened to me yet. But if, because it's a future pace event, I need to then learn how to focus on the present. Because for some people, the, um, and, and you will see a heightened sense of this after the MCO is over. Even when they lift, they make the announcement to lift the MCO, many people will be afraid to go back to work. Not because they have lost their jobs. So when then they have lost their jobs, no matter what, they will go back to work. But for many others who still have their jobs, they will still go back, be very afraid to go back to work. I've already been, been receiving uh, 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 queries like this for my international schools. Even if the schools are open, parents will say, I'm not sure whether I want to send my child to school. Is it safe to send my child to school? I had, I had a question yesterday at the, at the forum that I was uh, also speaking at. And this was the same question from different CEOs. Is it, is, our employees are going to be asking this question, is it safe for us to be going back? Many people will be developing 
this sort of anxiety disorders and you know one kind which we very often we, we hear about is something called OCD obsessive compulsive disorders yeah you will see a, a spike in this sort of disorders I, I, I predict in, in the coming months because of this obsession obsession and so what, there are two parts of this disorder called obs obsessive compulsive the obsession is the thinking and the compulsion is the behavior that moves me to act on the thinking yeah um, and if I don't manage this well um, I, I waste a lot of time with my life. I will stay stuck. So, for example, you know, I wash, I do the twenty-second hand washing thing. Wash, 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 wash. You know, sing Happy Birthday twice. You know, that's what they say on CNN <laughs> as you wash your hands. Uh, but before that, you wipe out your 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 doorknobs and so forth. Uh, and and then what happens? You know, as as you as you finish washing, you go out and then you wipe your hands and then it, it, hey, did I clean? Is this a clean towel? Did I clean the towel? Well, maybe I didn't. Right. So wash, 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 another 20 seconds, wash, 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 you know, you, you try not to touch anything before you wipe your hands. And then after that, just as you are about to go out to the toilet, you open it. Did I clean the, the doorknob well enough? Maybe not. Wash, wash, wash. So the whole day you'll be stuck in the toilet cleaning your hands. Basically, that's what it is. OCD people you know, have a miserable life. <laughs> I, I know I'm exaggerating it a little bit, but that's the nature of this. Right? So what do we need to do? I mean, those fears are real. Right? Don't tell people who are OCD that ah, yeah, you're making a big deal out of a mountain or a whole uh, mountain out of a molehill. Right? And so die, die, lie. Anyway, you know, everybody's going to die at any time. Hey, no, don't tell people who are feeling this that, that it, it's, it's nothing. It is real. Right? It is very, very real. And that's where the paralysis is. Right? Yeah. So first thing that One of the things I could, I could just ask very quickly, you know, I, I'm just listening to you. Uh, what comes up very strongly for me is that you know this this sense of loss of control. You know, a lot of times, mm, you know, absolutely. you're able to control your life, but we are at a stage where we really do not have any control, and and the anxiety of not being able to control uh, mm. in itself uh, is a mountain to climb. Absolutely, absolutely, and it is this, Father. It is this loss of control that's why the sense of anxiety is heightened. Uh, even staying inside, indoors, is uh, giving up control of my life. So how can I still gain back control? That's why uh, there's a slide here that I will talk about uh, in, in terms of getting some sense of, of control at the personal level where I learn to structure the day, right? Uh, setting a, a structure in the day helps me to give some sense of normalcy to my life. Okay, so, so just, just think about it. If I, if I get up in the morning and I don't in this in this period that we are all restricted to the, the, the confines of our homes and this is now our new workplace. So if you go to the workplace, you know what you're going to do from nine o'clock in the morning to five thirty in the evening. There will be moments of breaks or lunch or tea breaks or, or lunch breaks. There will be meetings in between, which is what we have been doing all this time. In fact, we find ourselves. I find myself spending more time in front of my my laptop. I'm working more. I was just off the phone. That's why I was a bit delayed. Uh, with, with someone else, uh, you know, and, 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 and he was himself recognizing the fact that, yeah, that we are spending more hours now. And so that structure is important. But other than just setting the structure to create a sense of normalcy and getting back some control of our lives, because we control this environment, it also helps put meaning. For people who may have lost their jobs, they have to find something that they have to do. Otherwise, they, they, they will, other than anxiety, they will get depressed. So, and, and meaning is important. Meaning is very specific to every, unique to every individual. I, I like the, the, you know, a, a phrase by, by a famous German uh, philosopher called Friedrich Nietzsche. 
and his famous phrase is, he who has a why to live for can live in any how or what that ever happens in, in, that happens in, in the life. If we don't have a reason to exist every day, even in this very uncertain, difficult period, uh, we, we have basically given up control, we have given up hope, we have given up that things can be better for us. But human history has shown that we are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. So a simple thing is even just setting aside a structure for the day, giving ourselves, setting aside time to do certain things. That's taking control. That's managing a lot of things that, you know, would otherwise run wild within ourselves. And, and I, I often share about, um, you know, the life of, of Viktor Frankl. One of the things I had to do was a, a book report on, uh, on, on his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And I think that is standard reading for a lot of uh, uh, pre-seminarians, you know, who have to, to, to study uh, people like that. And, and Frankl came up with an approach to therapy called logotherapy or the therapy of meaning. Yeah, so just try and imagine uh, circumstances of survivors of the German concentration camps. So their situation far worse than ours. Every minute of every day, that is all around you. Trains coming, train loads, and as you get off the platform, life and death decisions are made. When you go for your long walks, life and death decisions are made. You fall on the ground, you die. People can finger you at any time. Somebody will shoot you in the head. Nazi guard for you. Your life is meaningless to them. What would keep you alive during that time? And for Frankel, he says that the, just the thought, the thought that I might one day uh, be reconciled to my wife and my child. Now, whether or not his wife or child was still alive, he didn't know, but that wasn't the point. What was important for him, that he found within himself this meaning that he had to create for himself just to keep him alive, to live through another day, another day, another day. So, Doctor, maybe could you share with us how do we manage our of fears and anxiety during this, uh, on a personal level during this period. Thank you, Mark. You know, so, so continuing from the first uh, series, uh, as I said in the first part, that our anxieties are very much linked to our thoughts. So if they are linked to our thoughts and, and anxiety is a future pace uh, thought, uh, we need to learn to focus on the present because the present is the only reality that we have. Yeah? And if we are feeling anxiety in the present, we have to tell our minds if you don't tell your minds how to think, it will not, it will just run away. And bear in mind, everything that you think is not fact. Just because you think it doesn't mean it is fact. That's something that I, I read somewhere yesterday and I thought it was very, very insightful. So bringing the minds back to the present. And, and this is taken from a lot of very uh, powerful spiritual practice. Yeah? Uh, uh, and that we've embedded this practice now in, into psychology called the practice of mindfulness. What is mindfulness? Just becoming aware of the present. And there are, there are, you know, you can Google, there are, there are many, many different uh, short you know, uh, steps, YouTube videos that help you or how to practice mindfulness. But the, the one thing I like to just highlight during the practice of mindfulness simply is just, it's just about breathing, basically. Being mindful of your breathing is as simple as that. Just focusing your mind to the present and taking in deep breaths. Because when you think about it, COVID-19, the virus is, about, is a respiratory uh, virus that affects your respiratory system. So if you can breathe in every breath that you take, and, and the exercise normally when I, when I put people through a state of relaxation, a relaxation when I work with clients who, are, who have phobias, uh, who have phobias, yeah? The first part of dealing with a phobia is to help to relax the client before you get him to confront the fear. Because anxiety and relaxation, the state of relaxation cannot exist at the same time. 
you cannot be peaceful and anxious. Peaceful and anxious. You, you cannot do that. You are either anxious or you are peaceful. You cannot be both at the same time. Right? So breathing helps calm you down. And and part of that whole relaxation is, you know, you, you teach people how to breathe in, you know. So at the count of five, you can as you are breathing, you can have some mantra in your head, you know, some people like to use that, you know, blessings, you know, Mara, Nata, you know, so they count one, two, three, four, five, six, hold the breath for six, uh, and then let go for six, yeah? So simple breathing exercise, as simple as that, and all you need to do is spend five to seven minutes on this, and you'll find that your state changes. It's just telling your mind to shift gears. Don't be so focused on the thought, that is so future-based, but focus on thoughts of the moment. Malaysian parents know this very well. If you're ever a parent, and Mark, I assume you, you've got young children because you talk about kids screaming in the background, right? Mm -hmm. If you remember your little child, uncontrollable, and you are trying, you know, your little toddler cannot stop the child from crying. You try to put milk in the mouth. They don't want the milk. You know, something is, is disturbing them. And what do Malaysian parents do? Chicha, chicha, chicha. Oh, look at the chichak <laughs> and what happens to the crying? You dramatize the chichak, the crying stops instantly because what you have done is you have diverted the attention of, of this, this discomfort to something else. And so when the brain has the capacity to do that, and when we tell the brain to do that, of course, the danger, of course, you create a phobia of, 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 of lizards or the chichaks or the, <laughs> or the child later on in the future. But at that point in time, we stop. We, we stop that trend of thought that can sometimes run wild. Uh, so that's, that's the practice of mindfulness. Another one is, is changing the way we think. Because again, uh, it's, it's about the cognition. So if the origins of my anxiety is because of my thinking processes, all these years that I have uh, put this in place, yeah, uh, because of habits of thinking, habits of the mind, they say. And, and if I think in a certain way, then of course, I will be more likely to feel more anxious compared to other people. So... Some of the things uh, that, that we, we, we do in terms of homework that we get people to be aware of is be mindful of the kind of thoughts that we have. Some people, you know, tend to catastrophize everything, you know, uh, horrible, I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's too much. Uh, uh, you know, this thing is going to affect my life, my business, I, 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 you know, the end of the world for me. No matter how bad things are, things could be worse. That's the other way of thinking. Think of our, the stories of our grandparents who, who told us, you know, during the war, what they, they survived on morning, noon, and night, tapioca in the morning, tapioca in the noontide, tapioca till the sun goes down. <laughs> it's the same. If, if they survived the war, they're not the, all the experts after the war said, oh, Japan will be the end of the world for Japan. They will never recover from this ever again. 30 years down the road, Japan became a world economic power, right? No matter how bad things are, human history has shown us it could be worse. No matter how bad things are, we've never experienced this in our lifetime. It could be worse, right? And as you know, I, I didn't get to show you the slide earlier on. You know, the CDC, you know, had this interesting quote, 2019, that when we are able to survive this period, we all come out a bit stronger. The other thing is, is you know, some of us have this tendency, the word I use is masturbating. If you, if you understand the spelling of this father, it's, it's different from the other, M-A-S-T. <laughs> and what, this is, this is from Albert Ellis. Albert Ellis was the, the, the proponent of a approach to therapy called uh, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. What he says is similar about this masturbating, the both, you know, that sound alike, M-A-S and M-U-S-T, is that they have the propensity for self-abuse. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's a, if I, you know, the, 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 the traditional Catholic teaching of masturbation is not abuse, don't abuse the, the temple of God, etc. I'm not going to go there. I'm not a theologian. But the idea that, you know, this masturbating, yeah, must, we must, it must, life must be. So, Father, you talk about control. Some of us have such a high degree of control that, that they become what we call type A personalities. They don't know how to let go. Very inflexible, perfectionist in everything, in this place, a place for everything. And when that happens, and now you are in a situation where there's no control. Living in the 21st century, even before COVID-19, we talk about adaptability, flexibility, creativity. All of those are competencies that will help you survive the fourth industrial revolution and living in the 21st century. But if you have a very rigid outlook to life, then when something like this happens and control is taken away from you, you will be impacted more than other people. So you talk about resilience, Mark, earlier on. This is, this is one of the, the risk factors for people who have these very perfectionist tendencies. They are more at risk of, of succumbing to the psychological effects of the virus than those who are a bit more adaptable and adapt and have this thing what we call in psychology cognitive flexibility. So rather than saying must, it would be nice. No? It would be nice. It would be nice if my kids at the background are even screaming yell when I'm in the middle of a podcast. It would be nice. I would love it. And, and you know, sometimes that's how we need to talk to our children. Uh, kids, Papa is in the middle of a session now. Everybody is waiting for me. It would be nice if you can please respect my space for the next 20 minutes. After this, then... Uh, we will, we will, we will do things together. But it would be nice. I would love to. I would love it if you, rather than say, "Will you stop?" I, I can't stand it anymore. This is the next one. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. And you know, people who are like this, I can low frustration tolerance. That's why I can't stand. So I, I often tell people, you know, jokingly, if you can't stand this, sit up, <laughs> sit, sit. Right? Don't wait to be like the incredible how I can't stand low frustration. I, so we need to learn how to expand our low frustration. And all of this uh, is, is in the mind. Huh? I'm tougher than I think. I'm, learn patience. That's what mindfulness is about. Focus on the moment. It could be worse. Those are the kinds of patterns of thinking that we need to learn how to adapt and, and include in our now new habits of thinking because it's going to be a new environment that we are going to go up to. If we still hold on to the old patterns of thinking, things are not going to get better for us after the MCO is lifted. Okay? I don't know whether that makes sense. Do you have any questions, um, any, any questions at this point in time? I, I'm just wondering, uh, in terms of when we are speaking about uh, how do we cope with anxiety, stress, um, and, and, and our podcast is called Catholics at Home, um, I, I probably ask the most obvious question. Of course, uh, how, of course. How, do, how does faith, how do you see faith sustaining you during this time? Everything. There are so many studies on resilience, Father. So many studies, and I, I remember writing a paper on it when I was doing my PhD on, on the resilience of, uh, of communities who suffered tragedy uh, after the impact of natural disasters. So we are talking about uh, uh, 2004 uh, tsunami. We are talking about earthquakes, disasters in the Philippines. Every year, they have so many different typhoons, super typhoons that come their way. Um, and, and one of the, the things we realized when I was going through all the literature what sustains people in times of crisis more than anything else is the faith that they have. What helps them bounce back is the faith that they have. So even though we are not able to gather together as a community of faith physically, 
uh, thank God for technology, we are still able to spend time in you know uh, following the, the different liturgical services over Easter. Uh, spend time, you know, in the quiet of our, of our our rooms at the different times of the day. Faith is a tremendous anchor for a lot of people in times of crisis, and and that's uh, something that uh, many studies have have, have uh, shown. Yeah, I think Certainly, one of the, one of the what's different at this time is that you know we always say that you know yeah you 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 go to church. I mean, when you're in trouble, uh, you know you you. That's like your that's like your your sacred space, you know. Mm, and mm. this is something very very different that we have not experienced mm. before. That you are not able to go to that place um, mm. where you would find comfort, refuge, and mm. also you know, an escape from your screaming children. I suppose to get to <laughs> you know. Uh, but we are really unable to do that. And I think for a lot of people, uh, having to rethink their faith and to create their own sacred space uh, at home. Uh, it's very challenging also to see how faith sustains. So I'm just trying to figure, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, oh, this is the time that we really need to go to church and we're not able to go to church. Yeah. And remember the sermons that I used to hear in, in, in church, Father, when priests would often remind us, you know, Sunday Catholics, yeah, that we, we go to church only once in a, in a while and we after that we lock up Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and, and throw the key away until the next Sunday. And then there's also another... Uh, another thing that we teach in our catechism classes right from very, very young, God is everywhere. <laughs> now is the time to reinforce those messages, isn't it? Now, every day is church. Every day is Sunday. Don't the Jesus now you will realize is no more locked up in the Blessed Sacrament. But he is, as the theology says, is God is omniscient, omnipresent. Uh, then then we, we need to acknowledge that part of, of, of uh, our faith and our spirituality and, and connect with that on a daily basis, on a regular basis, especially when we are starting to feel a lot of things within ourselves. And then that's a, a new experience of what Easter will mean right? with the resurrected Jesus. It really isn't. It's about Him being everywhere uh, uh, at, at all times. That, that's what the, 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 that whole sense of transcendence is all about. And so that important thing, the importance of connecting for those who are believers in, 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 the, in the faith, uh, that plays an important part in keeping us sane, in keeping us mentally healthy during very, very difficult times. Uh, Dr. Gerard, if I could just ask, um, you rightfully said mm. that faith can be that anchor in the times of crisis. But what about mm. for those? I mean, uh, to be honest, just recently I heard of an ex-colleague who had committed suicide mm. and one of my friends didn't have uh, that faith to, to mm. hold on to. And mm. I'm sure you've also mentioned just now about, you know, uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the future and many heads of household and men and women might be thinking, you know, am I going to keep my job? And, you know, depression, I think, as you said, we will see a rise. Mm. So I we can just talk a bit about depression and the signs and how can we help people? Or even if someone listening right now, watching right now, if they are feeling depressed, what would you say to them? Depression, really, as I said, so starting from sadness, sadness in its extreme that when, when sadness, which is a normal human response, becomes an uh, illness, a mental illness and a, a psychological problem is when we suffer then from depression. Depression stems from, from one thing in our minds. It stems from a sense of hopelessness, right? And 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 you, you need to understand why people feel this hopelessness. Yeah, that there, there is also a cognitive process that happens. And so if, if you if you if you think about it, uh, um, 
if I already have a sense of self that is very negative about me, yeah, I don't have a very good sense of self. I have always suffered from low uh, self-confidence. Um, then now, because of the economic crisis, I lose my job. Okay. Um, and then, and then people tell me, you know, just wait, lah, just wait. So I, I try, lah, I try, I apply, I apply uh, for jobs online. But all the response I'm getting is, no, sorry, no vacancies, no, sorry, no vacancies, right? So every time I get a rejection, it reinforces this thought in my head um, that no matter what I do, no matter what I do, things won't change. And even though I may have gotten only 10, 15, 20 rejections, those 10, 15, 20 rejections constantly reinforce the idea that if it happens today, I've had 20 rejections, then for sure tomorrow when I apply, it's going to be the same story. A week from now, it's going to be the same story. A month from now, a year from now, it's going to be the same story. I will continue to be a failure now and in the future. So, if the future looks so bleak, and I believe that, that's why the, the thought was a very important thought. Huh? Don't believe everything you think. What you think doesn't necessarily mean it's a fact. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. One can look at this as doom and gloom, no hope. Or one can look at it as, wow, because we don't know the future, I can create the future. There are opportunities for me. The Chinese have a very interesting saying, out of crisis comes opportunities, right? So how I change my thinking about the future gives me either a sense of hope or a feeling of greater hopelessness, which then leads to depression. So what's the point of trying? If I'm going to fail anyway, if I know tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to fail anyway, what's the point of trying? And that's why people get into that state then, Better any now, I'm in too much pain. I can't take the pain anymore. So the, the, the connection with resilience, uh, where are they at this point in time? Are they people who are at higher risk now? And so when we, when, when we, we, we talk to different segments of the community, our main concerns as counseling psychologists and, and people who, who are in the helping profession, it is really to identify those in our communities that have even before, before the COVID-19, uh, these are already a community that is at risk because they don't yet have the, the resilience, the coping mechanisms uh, within themselves uh, and the resources within themselves to manage this very difficult time for even a, a, a normal person, as it were, right? Now more so than ever. And these are the ones that we have to pay careful attention to and start reaching out to because they are the ones most at risk now in the community. Yeah. But as I said, the starting point really is to to help them focus in the moment, take control of their lives in the moment, do all that they can, reach out to them, provide them the support because they will need support. Uh, and on their own, they will find it very difficult to get through this. We have to reach out to give them the necessary support so that they see hope tomorrow. If they don't see hope, that's when uh, things will end quite fast. That's why I think uh, today the community and BCs are so important. <laughs> yes, absolutely. More, I think, the Father, this is a fantastic time to have what we call virtual BCs. <laughs> when you know, whenever we have our BC gatherings, we may have eight people there. Now you can have twenty people, thirty people. No excuse. We all uh, you can't say I've got work appointments at eight o'clock in the night now. <laughs> as long as you have a steady internet connection, you can you can meet. <laughs> quite, quite, I've already heard quite a few BCs are meeting, uh, having rosary prayers. You know, doing fantastic. Different things. 
uh, people yeah. are connecting with one another. You know, one one thing that I I myself have found helpful to to remain positive. I, I mean, mm. I, is that I only watch the news once a day. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> You know, uh, if I were to watch it every hour, uh, I don't think I, I will move very far during the day. Yes. And also the number of messages people keep forwarding. And I think there's mm. one, you know, uh, people should refrain from, you know, forwarding all kinds of things. Absolutely. You know, what is, in fact, what is fake? In fact, that's exactly one of the, the points that I, 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 I make in the, one of the slides I have. Um, but what is different pre MCO and post and, and, and now during the MCO um, is the fact that you know when I talk about mortality and that we, we, we've always known that we're going to die. I mean, worst case scenario, you, you travel, get into Malaysian, uh, drive on Malaysian roads uh, during the festive season, you always have OPSI Cup and the goal of OPSI Cup is zero deaths on the road. Have you ever come across the statistics for all the years that we've had OPSI Cups when they have zero deaths on the road? No. So people die on Malaysian roads sometimes more. When you look at the mortality rates on Malaysian roads, it's more than the, the fatalities now from COVID-19, right? You, 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 you walk out of the house, you can get knocked on by a car. You might suddenly be at a workplace, you die of a heart attack. We've known so many of our, our priest friends and our community members have had that. I have those sort of experience in my own personal life. That has always been there. But what is different pre-MCO? It's because, Father, as you said, we don't think about that. We are only reminded about that when you have to do a service, especially for you as a priest, you know, ever so often you have to do a funeral mass. But for the rest of us, we only think about that when we hear news of people who are significant to us. And then it has a meaning for us. But people who die, otherwise the death statistics are there every day. We don't think about it. We don't think about that because for our survival and our mental health, we cannot. We cannot. We, 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 otherwise, as the Father said, huh, it's just too much for the brain constantly be confronted with your mortality 24-7. Cannot. We're not built to look at death everywhere. And that's why then, if for those who do, they suffer from all sorts of psychological, emotional uh, mood disorders because of, of this confrontation of that. And so, regulate the time with the news. Learn to turn off some of your, your social media devices and, 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 you know, and watch it. Get the news, get what's pertinent. Keep abreast with some of the latest developments, and that's it. Now, don't stop sending these uh, millions of bits of what we think is useful information. Actually, it doesn't help people very much. And, and, and you're right. How do you verify whether this is true? Um, you know, yeah. washing down your mouth with warm water and whatnot so that the, the virus will go. In the, that's fake news. <laughs> if I may add, uh, that's fake I'm, news. If and I may that's add, worst thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, talking about going back to depression and all, I think um, like for us, we have families and all to actually be there for us. But there are a lot of people who are staying single, for example, or they're staying alone. And some of them, mm. priests, priests, yeah, priests. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but some of them, they may not have the faith like the priests and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, some of them are maybe even though they're married, maybe they are also having anxiety, but also pressure. Pressure mm. because, for example, they lost their job and they got no money to, to buy food for the families. Mm. And mm. they will go into depression, you know what I mean? So one way is... Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So one way I think the BECs definitely, I mean, they have to do a lot of outreach to identify who are mm. the people around your, your area uh, to actually find... Because they are not going to reach out to people to say, hey, you know, I got no money to put on the table for my family or I'm going through this period in time. And what, what more if you're, you're, you're someone who is always by yourself, you know what I mean, as a, as a single person. So I think uh, maybe like from 
for, for us and all, I think we try to also message our own circle of friends, which are our own community, just to make sure that they're financially okay, they're able to, to go through this thing. Some of them may not have a job today, so I think our duty is also to reach out to them and also to just to, to do a check once in a while that, then, and to make sure that they also have interaction and also to share what they're, what they're going through today with us. If not, it's going to be quite hard. Let me share with you a, a, a slide that I have, and I'm really very proud of the people who are in this slide. Actually, one person especially, this was posted up by a former classmate of mine in sixth form many years ago. And he was saying, feeling proud, feeling proud of the fact that his company actually had raised funds and they went to two hospitals because the people who are the front line of the fight against COVID-19, they are the real unsung heroes. Uh, and, and they brought them boxes and boxes of uh, uh, healthcare materials, sanitizers, face masks, uh, suits, etc. Uh, and for him, you know, for him, it was the sense that I have to do something. I have to do something. I cannot just stay at home and moan and groan and gripe about, you know, all the terrible things that are happening. And, and yes, even though he, he's, you know, he's a senior member in, in, his, in his workplace, uh, um, he he realized that reaching out to people really helped him more than anything else. This sense of that I'm not alone, that you know, people, I, I'm, I'm connected in the community. Um, one of the slides I have early on is the idea that we are social beings. And this certainly, people wonder um, what is going to happen to them, especially when they are alone, they don't have money, they, they run out of money. Some people who are stranded here because they came here to visit someone and they're stuck in a hotel, they can't go back in the, go back to their countries. That's why they're beginning in touch with the different embassies. What do I do? I'm running out of money already. And some of them are, are not very wealthy people. Yeah? They, they can't stay on in, in hotels uh, indefinitely. Um, reaching out, reaching out uh, to people helps us, helps us as much as it helps people who are in great need uh, to deal with, with this crisis. Yeah, it gives us a, a sense of purpose again, uh, strengthens the sense of, sense of purpose and strengthens the bonds that uh, we, we have in our communities. Yeah. Yes, any other questions, uh, gentlemen? Uh, I, I, think, I think... Well, I think, uh, Dr. Gerard... Yes, Father, go ahead. One of the, the challenges uh, that people is, is the uncertainty of what tomorrow holds. Mm. A, a lot of young families, uh, you know, uh, having salaries cut. Uh, you have commitments, financial commitments uh, to make, whether to school or to a loan. You know, despite all the efforts of the government that's put out there, you know, uh, I don't think everybody goes to bed at night, you know, uh, to have a good night's sleep, thinking, not knowing what tomorrow holds. Mm. But what, what would you say? What would you say? I mean, I mean, some people say you should pray more. I, I don't think that's a solution to the problem. Uh, how, do, how, mm. how do we, how as church can we help these people, do you think? And church here, not just institution, but all of us. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and, and I think we, we touched on some of these things, Father, the idea of you know, seeking out the most vulnerable in our communities, uh, looking at ways and means. We, we talk about even in my schools, uh, the schools that I manage, the three international schools, we, we know people are going to withdraw because they can't afford anymore. And um, we just recently made a decision about you know, how to support them by, with some rebates and um, non-increase of fees, etc. Uh, for this coming year. 
Um, and even with that, some people still will not will, won't be able to afford. And we, we you know we were looking at uh, how can we link them to financial institutions to to help with some uh, loans, uh, interest-free loans, you know, just to help people get back on their feet. And I'm sure those are all conversations that are not only being done at our community level. There's certainly uh, conversations being done at uh, at uh, different departments and government agencies, etc. Because uh, and it's not just peculiar to us, but to every country in the world, right? Um, and 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 what I would say when I speak to people in organizations, speak, speak to other CEOs, and I learned this recently from a very good friend of mine who's involved in an area. He's an international coach himself, and um, doing his PhD, developing. Um, uh, he had developed a model of of um, uh, reimagining businesses based on his own personal experience and and you know he talked about his own personal experience of depression etc uh, he, he he was very much in the performing arts he was a, a scriptwriter he, he worked in the us for many years then came back to malaysia he was working in the fine studios he was uh, the dean or, or the deputy vice chancellor of a, of a multimedia university that that worked in fine studios um and 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 leveraging on his strengths as a storyteller and you know looking at his own life where he thought he was suffering from schizophrenia he was suffering from depression he was very much alone in the world how he used his own life's journey to to come back and he developed a a, a model which i thought was just fascinating and his model is just based on without him even realizing that it has got sound psychological principles in an area of psychology called narrative psychology right and narrative psychology begins like this that and the starting point uh, is for a story uh, uh, for a new story to begin rituals must end or put it another way rituals need to end before a new story can begin so if we've been doing things pre-mco pre-covid 19 in a certain way and this is this is a uh, for all organizations, businesses, because we know the new landscape post-MCO is going to be very different. The economic landscape, the workplace is going to be very different. We cannot go about doing work in the old way anymore. And that's what the Ford Industrial Revolution has been telling us whenever for the last four or five years we've been hearing about the Ford IR. They have been telling us we need to innovate, we need to be adaptive, we need to be creative. Those are the necessary skills in, for our schools in terms of our educational institutions. We need our, our young people to be competent in knowing how to do all of those things. So break the rituals that we have. And the way we've been doing things, if, you're, if you don't break those rituals, you will come back. The greatest tragedy would be for people to hope for this to be lifted sooner so that they can get back to their normal lives. That he says, it's the beginning of the end. But if you accept the fact that things will not be the same, now you have to start imagining, what is your greatest fear now? Confront that fear. And what is the opposite of that fear? So for example, if I'm afraid, I'm going to lose my job, my greatest fear is I don't know how to feed my family, then the opposite of the fear is I'm able to feed my family. That's my new story now. And based on the new story, I then work through all the things. You know, so if you, if you look at, at the, so he uses a lot of storytelling things from Hollywood because he's a scriptwriter. He says, think of, think of Beauty and the Beast. 
before the scriptwriters could actually write the story about uh, a script for Beauty and the Beast, they had to discover what was the beast most afraid of. And his greatest fear, because he had a short time span, and the last battle of that rose will fall. What was his greatest fear? That he will not be loved in time for him to change back to who he was. His greatest fear that he would not be loved and accepted for who he was. Once the scriptwriter identified his fears, they could identify how to end the story. Yeah? It's when we identify our greatest fears, then a new story can begin in our lives. And that's what gives us hope, Father. We need to identify the story, then know what your ending will be for this new story, and write a new script. And along the way, if you watch movies now, ever since my conversation with him about two weeks ago, every time I watch a movie now, I'm trying to get into the mind of the scriptwriters, and all of them are exactly the same. You notice how stories, all these Netflix series and, and the binge watching that we do and all of this, they all are just for some, at every episode, you will have little barriers here. There'll be a car chase. There'll be something that will, put, that will, be, that will come in the way. And every time for the series to continue, the heroes will always find a way to, to get around. <laughs> They'll solve the problem. I've been recently been watching Designated Survivor. Apparently, it's such a big hit and so forth. But sometimes it's so frustrating because you just know that at the end of the thing, there will be a problem, more problems, more problems, more problems. But eventually, hero always wins if they want to be a Hollywood mega hit. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so, once you identify the end, you expect the problems to exist. Of course, then, you know, you confront the what ifs. What ifs? What if this thing happens? How do I deal with it? Your mind becomes what we call solution-oriented. The, the, if you read the, the, the book by Scott Peck, The Road Less Travel, one of my, another one of my favorite authors, yeah? Scott Peck talks about this idea. Opening line of all of Peck's book has got three words. His one for the Road Less Travel is, life is difficult. Life is difficult. Interesting line, it captures your attention to the way. And Peck says that, um, unless and until they accept the fact that life is difficult. When you accept the fact that life is difficult, what do you do? You work through looking at solving the difficulties of life. So we equip ourselves with looking for solutions to problems that confront us every day, whether in our families, in our workplace, in our relationships, every day. Problem-solving mindset, growth mindset, that's what they, we talk about in, in, in organizations, right? And when you look back at your life 10, 15 years, after going through various kinds of scenarios, difficulties in life, you look back and say, hey, actually, yeah. when people ask you how's life, hey, not bad, quite good, actually. Not so difficult, right? Because you have already realized that you're quite adept at problem solving. But if we, all that we do is complain, life must be easy. <laughs> life has to be wonderful for me. Life mustn't have all these hang-ups and, 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 and problems and challenges and difficulties then we paralyze ourselves and we cannot move. So for those who are out there, my message of hope simply is this. My mother used to say this to me or someone used to say this to me for my family. Where there is life, there is hope. <laughs> as simple as that. Yeah, where there is life, there is hope. And just remember people like, like Viktor Frankl. Just remember the people who had to survive the Second World War, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, all the... the, the years and years of apartheid, uh, every oppressive regime in the world, every war that people have gone through, uh, standing up for, for good versus evil, etc. Yes, people will die. But if we keep 
fighting and fighting, eventually we will. I mean, the whole story of Easter is about this. Even in that, the resurrection is what gives us hope. I mean, our faith is, is right at the core of everything that I've talked about. It is this message of hope that we must hold on to. As long as we have life, uh, we, will, we, we, will, we will succeed. I think, Dr. Gerard, uh, that's a great way to end the show before we run out of uh, time in this second session. But uh, thank you so much for that. And, you know, where there's life, there is hope. And also for bringing to, to us uh, how can we be more mindful in this present time and also to change our perspective of uh, what is going to happen in the future, which we don't know yet. So, Father Clarence, any last words? And maybe you can end with a prayer. Yeah, I think... Uh... Dr. Gerard has given us the words of comfort and words of hope. I think that's what we all need to carry. And I think, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to say rightfully, but, you know, somehow it is the season of Easter. And I think that gives us an added value or a dimension to this whole reflection, you know, that there is life after also. Mm. So maybe let's just say a prayer and we just conclude this. Uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. God, our Father, we... Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, the resurrection that offers us hope. But today we want to pray especially for all those who are going through difficult times in their lives, uh, their families, of the uncertainties, the loss of control. We want to remember them in prayer. We pray that, Lord, you be close to them. And not just that, but inspire us also to be able to reach out, to be a part of a larger community, to help one another not just financially, but also emotionally and spiritually. May you use us in this season of Easter to bring the message of life to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Gerard Lewis. Once again, a big thank you to Dr. Gerard Lewis, also Father Clarence and my co-host, Mark Darren Lee. Uh, there's a lot to process in this uh, couple of episodes with uh, Dr. Gerard. So I'm sure, Dr. Gerard, there's lots more that we can talk about and we can cover. So we hope to have you on the show uh, maybe in the near future. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I certainly will try to make myself available. Thank you. Thank you so much.